Well, there was a little boy who was having a snack at his grandmother's house, and uh, she offered him a second piece of pie. The little boy looked at the, the pie, and he sighed, and he says, no, thank you. And she said, well, Tommy, you've, you've never refused a second piece of pie before. She said, are you suffering from a loss of appetite? And he sighed again, and he said, no, mom told me to say no, so I'm suffering from politeness. As we turn in our Bible today to 2 Kings chapter 5, we're going to see a man by the name of Gehazi, and we're going to see that he wasn't suffering from politeness. Rather, his problem was one that many of us suffer from, which is where he was wanting some things that he he didn't have. Now, as you're turning to 2 Kings chapter 5, we're going to pick up today in verse 20 with the second part of the story. And let me just remind you of the setting, what we looked at last week. In the first part of 2 Kings chapter 5, we were looking at a man by the name of Naaman. You remember he was the captain of the army of Aram. He was rich, he was powerful, he was a valiant warrior. But he had a problem because he was also a leper. And he had heard that the God of Israel would be able to heal him. And so he came to Israel with a letter from his king, the king of Aram, saying how, how great of a warrior, how valiant this guy is. And he came with gifts galore. He, he came with a, a wagon load of riches. He thought, I can either buy my healing or I can earn my healing. But what he found is that he had to humble himself. God had a gift of healing, a gift of grace for him, but it couldn't be bought or earned. It had to be humbly accepted. And after Naaman struggled with his pride for a period of time, he eventually humbled himself and and did what he was asked to do. And he was not only healed of his leprosy, but he was healed of the greater need that he had and became a follower of the true God of Israel. And as we look at the story today in 2 Kings uh, 20, uh, verse 20, what we find is that after he's been healed, he's told in verse 19, go in peace. Now, these words of blessing were significant because you'll recall, as we saw last time, the nation of Aram and the nation of Israel were on the verge of an all-out war. Aram was already crossing the border on these raids. They were taking back captives and, and stealing from the people, looting the land. And so as we pick up the story today, Naaman, the commander of this enemy army, is deep within Israelite territory. He's there with an armed entourage. We saw that he came with a a contingent of soldiers, and yet as mighty a warrior as he is, and, and they would have been able to put up a good fight, but deep inside Israel, they could have brought overwhelming numbers, and he would have been defeated. So as Naaman prepares to go, and Elisha sends him out with the the words of God's protection saying, go in peace. These were very significant words. Now, as Naaman leaves, we see as we pick up the story today that not everyone shares this sentiment of sending Naaman away in peace and with all that he had. Because verse 20 tells us, But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, thought, Behold, my master has spared this Naaman, the Aramean, by not receiving from his hand what he brought. Now, you can see the, the contempt dropping, dripping from these words. He's, he's an enemy, an enemy of Israel. He's, he's an Aramean. He's a Gentile. And he says, my master has spared him. Now, Gehazi's no dummy. He, he's not saying, let's capture this guy, let's kill him. He knows that if something like that were to happen, that an all-out war would break out, and, and Israel couldn't even protect its borders, and so they would have likely lost this. But what he's saying is, do we have to let Naaman go back with, with all the riches he brought? I mean, remember, the enemy was already plundering Israel. They were stealing people and property. And he says, this this is a a win-win situation. 
This enemy commander has come here with all this loot that he planned on leaving, as we saw last time in verse 5. And he says, he got his healing, so let him go back, but leave the riches here. We will get what we want, and he already has what he wanted. I want you to put yourself in this position for a moment. If you remember the story, Naaman, after he is healed, he's come back from the Jordan River. He's excited. He pulls into camp. He jumps out of his chariot. And, and he, he says, look at me. I've been healed of my leprosy. And, and he says, I want to give gifts to God as thanks. And so he gives the command, you know, loosen the ropes, unload the silver and the gold. And, and as they're, they're sitting there and they're, they're watching, I mean, the, the cover is pulled back. And remember what was there. There were 10 talents of silver. We saw last week that that was worth 200 years worth of wages for a person. There's 200 years worth of paychecks about to be put on the ground in front of you. There was 150 pounds of gold. That would have put anybody in that day on the world's richest list. And there were 10 changes of clothing, 10 kingly garments that were given. And remember that the average person in that day owned one set of clothes for the entirety of their life. And so this was an immense amount of wealth. But as the ropes are loosened, as they're about to hand these riches over, Elijah says, stop. We're, we're not going to take anything. Naaman says, but I insist. It's a gift to you. It's a, it's a gift for God's healing. And, and Elijah responds, no, God's gift to you is one of grace. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. Go in peace and take every piece of silver, gold, and piece of clothing with you. Now, as Gehazi is standing there, if this were you, it would be like a Brinks armored car has backed into your driveway. They've thrown open the doors of this truck, and they're about to unload the loot into your garage. And you're standing there going, Publisher's Clearinghouse has got nothing on me. Look at what's just arrived. And he's excited, he's, he's thinking about all this riches that are about to be laid at their feet. And, and Gehazi says, close the doors, take it with you, we, we don't want any of it. And, and Gehazi wants to shout, come on, Elijah, you're, you're the prophet, can't you see? It's payday. Look at, look at what God's given to us. If you look at 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1, there you see the situation that Elisha and Gehazi and the other prophets were in because it says that they need to expand the place they're living. It says, behold, the place before you where we are living is too limited for us. They're stacked one on top of each other. There is not enough room in the little house where they're living for the people who are serving God. By, by taking some of this money, they could have covered all of the cost of the project. And if you want to know how bad a shape they were in, if you keep reading in Second Kings 6, you see in verse 5, they didn't even have the tools they needed. They had to go and borrow an axe in order to cut down trees in order to get the lumber to begin to do the project. And so this is a situation where there's enough resource being offered to them that they could have hired the best general contractor out there. They could have built the biggest lodge they wanted, and there would have been money left over. And Gehazi's going, Elijah, can't you see? This is God's provision. We can build what we need. We'll have money left over to, to buy copies of God's word. We can send missionaries out on trips. We can help people, including us. I mean, come on. Gehazi's looking at this. Now, again, to put it in modern terms for us, think about it this way. Suddenly the doors of the sanctuary open and, and a person comes walking up here right now and they say, Roger, 
You know, I was driving by, I saw the, the parking lot expansion y'all are doing. I know that costs a lot of money. I, I heard there's a, another house on Ivywood that is about to be uh, offered to sale, and, and y- y'all are landlocked. You have no room. You need more room for ministry, for people to park because all that God's doing. So I want to write a check. I want to cover the project. And, and this person, as they're holding out the check, there's all these zeros on it. And you're trying to figure out, well, how many millions is that? And, and they're going, you know, there's enough here to cover everything you're doing plus. Dream dreams. Do ministry. Do whatever you want. And, and I look at the person. I say, you know, that's, that's a really great offer. But you know what? We want you to keep the money. We don't need it. And the person goes, no, no, no. I, I don't think you understand. It's a gift. I, I want to give it to you. And I say, look, we don't need it. And the person's kind of shocked and they go, oh, okay. And they turn around, they go walking out the door. Now, how many of you are going to be walking out one of the other doors right now and intercepting them? How many elders, deacons, pastors, others of you are going to be running up and going, I don't know what Roger was thinking, but you know what? We really could use that gift. That is wonderful. Thank you so much. And you know what? If Wayside really doesn't need the money, I know a great charity that could use it. And that's me. And so I want to relieve you of that burden of carrying this wealth around with you. Why don't you just give it to me? Thank you. I mean, how many of you would be tempted to do that? That's Gehazi. It it says in verse 20 that as he watches these riches go over the hill. Remember, they're in chariots and wagons and there's this horses. And so they're on the superhighway. And as they, they pull out of camp and they go down the road, it says in verse 20, as the Lord lives, I will run after him and I will take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. Now, he doesn't just run right up the road as the entourage is pulling out. He has to kind of wait. Elisha's there watching him and others. People start getting back to work. And, and so he's kind of waiting, waiting. Is this a good time? And as soon as he thinks he can, he slips out of camp and he goes over the hill and he starts kind of saying, I know where this road goes. And if I go this way, I can, I can catch up to him and I'll, I'll intersect the route he's headed back to Aram. Verse 21 says, when Naaman saw one running after him, he came down from the chariot to meet him. And he said, is all well? I mean, you're Naaman. You're this general. You're, you're in enemy territory. You're headed back. And so you're happy about God's healing. You've just become a believer in the true God, Yahweh. But you're also kind of, your antennae are up. You're going, you know, are we going to be ambushed? You're going out the road. And you see this guy kind of up on the ridgeline, popping up and down. And you're thinking, what is going on? And so you're watching. And this this guy comes over the next hill. As you come around the road, here he comes. And and you're ready. You're ready for a battle. The guy comes into the road and he stops you. So you kind of wheel your chariot to stop. You've got your your bodyguards. They jump out. The soldiers set up this perimeter. You you jump down out of the chariot with your hand on your sword. and, And you go, is everything okay? He's ready, he's ready for a, a battle. Or, or maybe he's thinking, this is it. This is what God wanted. You know, this is the time to repay. There's been an attack back at the camp. There's some task. There's something I need to do. So he's ready. He's on point. And, and there's Gehazi. He's been running, running, running over these ridges, hills, through these draws and everything. And he's, so he's, <gasps> okay, it's okay. And, and name is what? What's going on? Is, is all well. And look at verse 22. He's been over. He's breathing hard. He says, all is well. My master has sent me. 
Now, linger over those words for a moment. If you write in your Bible, underline those words. Because here is the turning point of the story. My master has sent me. How many times before have those words been true? How many times before has Gehazi been sent by his master on a mission from God? As you read through the scriptures, you find several instances. 2 Kings 4.29 tells us, Then Elijah said to Gehazi, Gird up your loins. Girding up your loins is what you did in that day when you were getting ready to run. Ladies who have worn long dresses know what this is like. But guys, you wore a long tunic type of robe. And if you try to run in something like that, you're going to fall on your face as you get caught up in the material. And so what you would do is you would gather up your robe and you would tuck it in your belt. So you would gird up your loins so that your legs were free to run. Gehazi is called in by Elisha and he says, God has a mission, a mission of mercy. It says, gird up your loins, take my staff in your hand and go your way. If you meet any man, do not salute him. If anyone salutes you, do not answer him. And lay my staff on the lad's face. He says, he says run and don't let anything distract you. This, this boy is sick and needs God's healing. Go. Now, Gehazi's run other times. While it doesn't say specifically, what we see here is Naaman knows who this guy is. As he sees him running over the ridge and coming ahead, he says, this, this is Gehazi. This is Elijah's right-hand man, the servant who serves the great prophet. How did he know who this guy is? Well, if you remember in 2 Kings 5, 8 through 9 last time, we saw that when Naaman first came from Aram, he went to the palace in Israel and as the king of Israel tore his robes and was all upset about this, this event happening, what happened? It says that Elisha sent a servant to the palace to say, hey, tell the guy there is a prophet in Israel who can help him. Who went to the palace? It's probably Gehazi. He's the guy that ran to the palace and said, come back. There's somebody who can help you. And then remember, as he comes to Elisha's house, Elisha didn't come out. It tells us that Elisha sent a servant out to tell Naaman the instructions. It was probably Gehazi again, the right-hand man to the prophet who, who comes out and says, hey, you're to go jump in the river. Remember that? You remember how furious Naaman got? He got angry. He's, he's ranting. He's raging. I mean, you know, Gehazi's standing there in the face of death. And, and he was the guy that had been fulfilling God's business. He was used to running on missions for his master, but here his master changes from God to gold. In Luke 16, 13, Jesus Christ tells us, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold on to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It wasn't God. It wasn't Elijah who sent Gehazi. It was his greed. It was his lust. It was what he wanted. Gehazi says in verse 22, my master has sent me saying, and he tells a lie here, behold, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothes. He says, there are two missionaries who just arrived. They don't have any support. They need some help. And, and, and so we just need a talent of silver and two changes of clothes. There was a, a major American company that opened a plant in a jungle area. 
and they hired the, the locals to be the workforce. Now, the, the problem was in this area, it was a, an agrarian and a barter-driven society. The, the pe- folks were used to living off the land, and they only you know, had as much as they needed from either trading or growing what they needed or hunting it. And as this company opens this manufacturing plant, they hired these workers, and they paid them in cash. Now, the average worker, after just one week of working, being trained, getting on the assembly line, starting to do the job, when they got their paycheck, it was more money than they had seen their entire life. And so when payday would come, they'd be handed this money and they'd look at it and they'd go, I don't need to work anymore. I got everything I need. And they'd quit. And this happened over and over and over, and they were, they were having trouble keeping the plant going, and they were wasting all this resource on hiring and training. And, and so they, they said, how do we keep this from happening? And somebody in management had the, the brilliant idea of, of getting a cargo of Sears catalogs delivered to the plant. And they gave each of the workers these catalogs. Remember, you, did you ever look through the Sears type of catalog at all the pictures? And, woo, I need that, and I need that. And, I need... and that's what happened. As the workers looked at these never-before-dreamed-of items and riches and things, they they kept working because now they needed this stuff. And, And this is Gehazi. He had been content to serve God for what he had. Things were fine until the cover was pulled back on the treasure chest, until he saw the riches. They were about to be laid at his feet. And now as he watched the wealth disappear over the hill, it says that his heart went with it. And he went running after it. Has that ever happened to you? Life is good. You're going along. Everything's fine. And then your friend shows up with a new outfit. And you kind of go, hmm. Your car's okay until the neighbors pull up in the driveway next door with that new car. Your, your gadget is great until somebody shows up with the latest, greatest new iPhone or tablet or something else, and all of a sudden you have to have the 6S and you have to go to the next level. You know, as you look at your life this morning, how happy are you with what you have? Are you thinking, well, you know, I could have a better car, a bigger house, new gadgets, on and on our list starts to go, right? But do you know what God's list tells us? God tells us in 1 Timothy 6, 8 through 9, if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. As you sit here this morning, what are you running after? What are you pursuing this morning? Is it money? Is it power? Some new position? Are you unhappy with your home or maybe your husband? Do you think you need more wealth or a a different wife? What are you running after this morning? Is it a new car, new clothes? Whatever it is that you're pursuing today, I want you to ask yourself a question. If you were to get it, Would it help you to grow closer to God or would it put a roadblock in your relationship with God or some other important person in your life? What are you running after today? As you think about what you're pursuing, Mark 8, 36 warns us, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Here's Gehazi. 
He lost sight of what was really important. He started running after goods instead of God. Now, as I talk about the greed of Gehazi today, some of you may be sitting here going, well, this is a great message, but it doesn't apply to me today because I'm not really greedy. Now, the person next to me, I hope they're listening because I know God's got some work to do in their life. Anybody thinking these things? Is Gehazi really greedy? I mean, is, is he chasing after the, the greeds of the world or is this just fair pay that he's looking for? I mean, remember the inventory. There's 200 years worth of silver. There's 150 pounds of gold. There's 10 garments that are sitting there. A talent of silver was equal to 6,000 denarii. A denarius was a silver coin that was the average day's pay that a laborer or a foot soldier would earn. So when you do a little bit of math, that's the equivalent of 20 years worth of pay for a person. And their lifetimes were, were shorter than ours. So this was a lifetime of pay for a person. One talent of silver would have covered your whole career. And as you look at it, I mean, he doesn't even ask for the gold. He's just, you know, one talent of silver. He's not asking for everything. There are 10 changes of clothes. He says, just two. We, we don't know about what his clothes look like. They could have been literally on their last leg. These things could have been so threadbare, they were see-through, they were falling off them. And he says, I, I'm a grown man. I've served God my whole life. And what do I have? I don't have my own house. Remember, Second Kings 6 says, they're all stacked on top of each other in a place that's too small for those who were there. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm down to one... One threadbare set of clothing. I need to replace it. I'm an adult. Can't I buy one set of clothes? And he says, while I'm at it, is is a spare pair in the closet too much to ask? I mean, I'm kind of justifying what he may have been going through here, but think about it. I mean, who does this stuff belong to? It's not even Naaman's, this enemy commander. Remember, it's the king of Aram who sent the stuff. The king of Aram who's been stealing from the people of Israel. And so what he's saying is, this, this stuff doesn't belong to him anyway. Why, why can't I have it? I'm just asking for fair, fair pay, my, my wages, and something to wear. And he's not going to miss it. This, this king has got so much stuff. I mean, it would be like me going to Bill Gates, a billionaire, and saying, Hey, Bill, could you spare a million? Would Bill Gates miss a million bucks? No. But it changed my life, wouldn't it? Would it change yours? Now, some of you are sitting here suddenly going, oh, what would I do with all these riches? And your mind is starting to go off. And if I were really rich, what? friends, can I tell you something? You are rich. Every one of us here today is rich. I mean, remember God's list? Do you have food and covering? Did anybody here miss a meal? Not because you got up late and were rushing here and Hebrews ran out of breakfast tacos. Did you miss a meal because you didn't have the resources to feed yourself this morning? Everybody's clothed. There are places that society provides if you don't have a a place of your own right now to live. We have food and we have covering. And if you're here this morning and you're truly without, if you have a physical need in your life, a financial crisis, I would love to talk to you after the service and I'll connect you with our agape ministry. We have a helps ministry here where the scripture tells us in the book of Acts, those who have are to share with those who are in need. And our church helps those families and those individuals who are in a time of crisis. And so God will meet the needs that you have, but not the greeds. 
the greeds that we have. You know, we let society set our standards for us. There was an article in Leadership Magazine. This is a a journal designed for those in, in church ministry. And in it, there was a pastor who was lamenting how little money he had to live on and provide for his family with his meager ministry salary. And as he talks about all this in his article, he brings it to a close and sums it up by saying this. The truth of the matter is I can live within my means, whatever my income level. He says, by the standards that I set and the choices I make, I determine many of my needs in quotations. He says, from cars to food, I often assume I must have a certain level of quality or comfort that has little to do with true needs. I sometimes wonder what Elijah, another prophet, or Paul, uh, or the Christian workers in China would think of my lean living. Friends, if you're sitting here this morning thinking about how lean you are living, ask yourself this question. If you're unhappy with the car you're driving, do you realize that all throughout the world, most people don't have a car? They ride a bicycle, they ride uh, mass transit, or they walk everywhere they go. If you don't like the house you're living in, do you realize that if you were in one of the most dilapidated, falling down mobile homes in our our country, you would still be living in a palace by comparison to the way that most of the people in the world live? If if you're thinking, well, gosh, I, I, I don't have enough clothing to wear, ask yourself how many piles of laundry you have to do in a week and you still have clothes left over in, in your closets and dressers at home. How many of us are really dealing with a a true need in our life. Verse 23 tells us, And Naaman said, as this request is made, Be pleased to take two talents. And he urged him, and he bound two talents of silver and two bags with two changes of clothes. And he gave them to two of his servants, and they carried them before him. Naaman was told, Hey, two servants have shown up. And he says, Look, don't take a talent and split it between them. I'm going to give you a talent for each guy and a change of clothes for each guy. I mean, what a generous offer. And so as he's handing out this stuff, a talent was also used as a standard of measure. 6,000 silver coins weighed a lot of pounds. It was over 75 pounds just for one. So there's over 150 pounds of quarters that are piled up in bags. And he says, okay, here it is. Take it with you. Oh, you can't carry all that. Two of you, come here. He gets a staff. He ties the the money, and these guys start, you know, they're walking on down the road. And there's Naaman carrying these two designer garments, walking behind, going, this isn't working out very good. His head's on a swivel. He's sweating bullets. Who's going to see me? You know, what's going to happen? They're on the superhighway. So the first chance he gets, when he gets near to camp, he says to the guys, hey, this is great. Let's just drop the stuff right here. Thanks. You guys have a wonderful trip back to Aram. You know, and he goes and he hides the stuff. And he thinks, verse 24 says he sends them away. They disappear. And he runs back to camp and he says, I did it. But look at verse 25. But he went in and he stood before his master. And Elijah said to him, where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, oh, your your servant went nowhere. Really? As As I read this, I thought about one of these America's Funniest Video Clips I saw once. And it showed this little boy. Well, first it started out with a camera shot of this chocolate cake on a counter. It was what was left of the chocolate cake. 
Many had been kind of picked over and grabbed into. And, and, and the, you hear the mother, she's, she zooms in on the cake and then she pans over and there's her, her young son standing there by the counter. And she says, did you eat the chocolate cake? No, mommy. And I mean, there's chocolate on his face. It's on his hands, his clothes. He's just covered. And, and, and he can't even help himself as he's denying it. He, he reaches over and he picks another piece <laughs> of the chocolate. No, mommy, didn't eat it. You know, that's Gehazi. He's standing there before Elisha and he says, Gehazi, where have you been? I didn't go anywhere. I mean, this guy's a prophet of God. God tells him things. <laughs> really? Look at verse 26. Then he said to him, did not my heart go with you when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Is it a time to receive money and to receive clothes and olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female servants? You see, Gehazi's not a dummy. He's not standing there in the new set of clothes, jingling some silver talents in his pocket, going, hey, what are you talking about, chocolate? No, none. That's not what he does. But his countenance has changed. His focus has changed. His, his heart has left following the Lord. And, and, and he says to him, where have you been? Is it really time to receive your rewards, Gehazi? Is it, is it time to have your, your, your lake house and your retirement and, and, and your portfolio that you're set for life? I mean, really? There's a missionary by the name of Henry C. Morrison. He, he served in Africa for 40 years, but he contracted tuberculosis, and at the time they didn't have a way to deal with it. And, and he was told by the doctors, you need to go back to America because you're going to die. And, and just it's, it's time to load up and go home to die. And so he and his wife got on a, a ship and they were headed back. And uh, it just so happened that Teddy Roosevelt was on that same ship returning to America from a safari in Africa. And, and Morrison was so weak and so sick, he never went up on deck. He didn't meet Roosevelt. He just spent the, the whole journey in his cabin with his wife bringing him just soup and, and things to try to sustain him. And as they pulled into port in, in, at America, his, his wife said to him, honey, let's go up and look. It'll be the first time we've seen America in 40 years. And she, she helps her husband up to the deck. And as he goes over to the rail and it's pulling up to the dock, Morrison sees a cheering crowd of people there. And this is what he writes in his journal about this experience. He says, I was overwhelmed by bitterness. I'd given my life to serve God, and here there was not one person there to welcome me home, but there were thousands welcoming home Roosevelt from a trip where he had been shooting elephants. Morrison goes on to say, as I angrily stood there, suddenly the heavens opened, and I saw a crowd of saints and angels that could not be counted. And I heard a voice that said to me, Henry, you're not home yet. Henry, you're not home yet. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are not home yet. The Bible tells us that we are just passing through this place called earth. And there is a day when we will walk through the gates of heaven. And those who have lived for the Lord, those who have been faithful to him, will receive rewards in heaven. 
And beyond the heavenly rewards that God has waiting for those who are his, who have lived for him, he also, while we are living here on the earth, is trying to help us, trying to keep us from some of the consequences of choices, from some of the mistakes we make, some of the the pain that comes when we we grab the stuff of the world that we think we need and, and we find out that there are these hooks in them, these lures that our enemy Satan is using to drag us away and try to destroy us. As Gehazi grabs for what Naaman had, the text tells us he ended up getting it. Look at verse 27. Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cleave to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence, a leper, as white as snow. What an ironic climax to the story. Last week, we saw how Naaman, this enemy leper, this non-believer, was healed and became a follower, a servant of the true God. And now Gehazi, this servant of the true God, becomes a leper. God had so much he wanted to give to Gehazi, but when he switched masters from God to grabbing the stuff of the world, he ended up with some loose change and a leprous curse. Friends, as you look at your life this morning, what are you grabbing for? What is the master in your life? Is it gold? Is it goods? Or is it God? If you want to know what is really most important in your life, you can look at your calendar and your checkbook. Because those two things show where our real priorities are. They show where we spend our time. They show where we spend our money. And as you look at what you're investing, your time, your money, your resources, your life in, what is it? Are you chasing after things like uh, the promotion at work? Are you putting all of your time and energy into pursuing a sport or some leisure activity or your lawn? Or you, you make the list. What is it? Where is God in the list of priorities in your life? As you think about what you're grabbing for, what you're, you're holding on to in this world, let me end with this story. It's about a little girl who's with her mother one day shopping. And this was back in the days of uh, the frontier towns. And she went into one of these general stores. They parked the wagon out front. They came in. And you've seen movies that kind of show the setup. They would have, you know, the barrels of goods and things. And there at the counter would be those candy jars, right? Nothing's new. It's kind of like walking into grocery stores today. There's the candy aisle right at the checkout. And so this little girl is, is standing there at the counter and her eyes are zeroed in on this jar of candy and the shopkeeper is totaling the bill and it's a, a pretty big purchase. And, and he, he says to the little girl, he says, uh, he reaches over and he takes the lid off the jar and he says, honey, go ahead and get some candy free of charge. The little girl looks at the jar and she looks at her mother, looks at the guy and she takes a step back behind her mother. And, and the shopkeeper says, honey, what's wrong? Don't you like candy? She kind of looks out, smiles and nods her head and pokes back behind her mother. And, and he said, well, honey, here, take it, grab a handful. It's free. Little girl stays back there like this. He says, honey, come here, come here. And he reaches over the counter and he, he takes a big handful and he drops it into her bag. Little girl says, thank you, closes her bag. And they go outside, they get in the wagon. And as they're, they're sitting there about to leave, the mother looks over at the daughter and says, honey, what happened in there? You've, you've never been shy before in your life. Why, why didn't you take the candy when he offered it? And the little girl looks at her mother and, and she said, mommy, his hand is bigger than mine.
You know, Gehazi forgot that God's hand was bigger than his. And he ended up with so little, grabbing for what he thought he needed in this world. How many of us are doing that? You know, if we grab a hold of the things in this world, two things happen. First of all, it, it makes it really hard for God to put anything else in there. And if, if your hands are full of everything else, there's no room for, for better things. And, and what God wants us to do today is to learn a lesson from the life of Gehazi. And just quit grabbing for the stuff of the world that is passing and worthless. And instead, to fill our hands and our head and our hearts with the things that are of lasting value, to trust God who can give to us more than we can ever imagine. Will you join me, please, as we close in prayer? Lord God, as we pause in your presence this morning, we have to confess that at times, God, we we wonder, can we trust you? God, we're, we're just like Gehazi. Sometimes, sometimes we're going, God, I've been serving you and serving you and slaving for you even, and, and what do I have to show for it? God, when do I get what I deserve? And God, as we talk to you this morning, we have to thank you, first of all, that you don't give us what we deserve. Because, God, we're all sinners. We're all far from you. We all owe a penalty of death and... If we really got what we deserved, not a single one of us would ever see your face in heaven. We'd be separated from you for all eternity. So we thank you, God, for your grace, for your mercy, for your love for us and not giving us what we deserve, but instead in giving us your son, Jesus Christ, to be our savior, the one who became our sacrifice as he went to the cross and paid that penalty of death that we owed for our sins. Thank you, God for your grace, for your mercy. Lord God, for others of us here who have accepted that great gift and for those who have not yet, I pray today would be that day where they accept it. But Father, for the rest of us who have taken your gift, who have turned our lives over to you, maybe we've run away. Maybe like Gehazi, we served you faithfully for years, but something happened that knocked us off the path and we've, we've been struggling. God, today would you help us to release our grip? Would we give away the the things we've been grabbing for? Would we open our hands to you and say, God, we can trust you. We know you're good. We know you love us. You know, we know you have our best in mind. So today, God, we're opening our hands. We want to open our hearts. We want to let go of the worthless things of the world. And we want to let you fill our head and our minds and our mouths and our hands and our lives with the things that are eternal, the people, the relationships, the things that we have from you that are eternal. Father, would we focus on those? So, Father, we thank you for this story of grace. We thank you for your love for men like Naaman and your love for even people like Gehazi who wandered from you. Thank you for your love for us. God, may we return that love with our lives. Send us out now as your messengers of mercy. Would we have the true master, you, in our life? We commit ourselves to you in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.